Hi friends and welcome to Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa. We're glad to have you here joining with our church community. I'm Nicolette and I'm excited to intro our teacher for today, Cheryl Broderson, who has a thought-provoking message for us. A story you may have heard many times, we'll look at John 12, 1 through 11 from Mary's perspective. As we continue in our series, Life in His Name, Cheryl begs the question through her message titled, How Do We Survive Criticism, Slander, and Being Misunderstood? Just like we see with Mary, if we choose to live our lives for Jesus, we will experience slander and criticism, and it'll come from people we may not even expect. But how do we deal? How do we cope and not let it bother us? Jesus will always defend his worshipers. As you keep your eyes on him and tune out the slander, not only will you survive, you will triumph as you see Jesus come to your defense. We'll find there are many ways to apply this story to our own lives. Despite the criticism we face, does the fragrance of our worship fill the room? Are you listening only to Jesus' voice? Let's join Cheryl and the congregation now. If you'd like to watch more messages from this series, visit our teaching page at cccm.com. So I don't think I have to tell you this, that we're living in a time when criticism, slander, and being misunderstood is the norm, not the exception. In fact, if I would take a poll in this room, how many of you would say, Cheryl, I've been criticized. Okay, Cheryl, I've been slandered. I'm raising my hand to all of these. Cheryl, I have been so misunderstood. People have misjudged me for something I've done. That's the norm. In fact, I think our generation excels in it. Maybe because of Facebook, social media, all these new platforms where people who used to be quiet and you thought they were nice, <laughs> now you know better. There was this young girl, Molly Russell, in UK, and it came out on Friday that the court ruled her suicide in 2017 at age 14, death by social media. That's how cruel it's getting. That's how dangerous it's getting. Michael Bunker, who all I know about him is he's an agrarian Christian farmer from Texas, wrote this. The age of social media, as should have been expected, has become the age of defamation, in times past, a gossip or low-life talebearer had to go house to house in order to harm an enemy. It might have been gratifying for the defamer of old to look into the face of a witless dupe as they succumb to the lower angels of the human nature, reveling in the poison of personal destruction. But it was still a lot of work with relatively little or no reward now. Instant communications and access to platforms accessed by millions in real time has given sociopaths, liars, and vengeance-minded defects the ability to commit the ultimate crime with both impunity and a startling level of success. Add to this the willingness of most people in this morally darkened age to not just revel in damaging gossip, but to weaponize it against political and social enemies, it becomes easy for honest people to see that we are in very perilous times. Let me say this. 
It is one thing to have this go on in the world. I expect that. There's nothing worse than elections. That's where you hear the worst about all those who are running for office. I expect it from this world. In fact, the Bible tells us that the devil, whose nature and name means slander, holds the whole world in his sway. But when it shocks me, when it surprises me, when it hits me with force and unexpectedly, is when I hear criticism and slander and misunderstanding coming from leaders in the church coming from Christians that I have loved and admired and esteemed, coming from followers of Jesus, even the very disciples of Jesus. Many react to criticism and slander and being misunderstood by simply deconstructing their faith. They reason, if this is how the followers of Jesus act, speak, and behave, I want nothing to do with his church, his people, or Christianity. Others ostracize themselves from the church. I have heard people say things, I really love Jesus and his word. I just don't like Christians, or I'm afraid of Christians, or I don't want to go and be judged by Christians. They lose faith not in Jesus Christ, but in the church of Jesus Christ, in the people of Jesus Christ, in the gathering of believers. Another reaction is that some actually join the slander campaign and they move outside the church to become the critics of the church. They choose to have no church affiliations and trust no one but themselves. And they become experts in fault-finding and looking for fault in every and any ministry or pastor or person that chooses to use their gifts for Jesus Christ. Still others go on a hunt for the perfect church. And they hop from church to church to church. Because as we know, churches are the gathering of fallen, faulty, failing human beings who desperately need Jesus Christ. We are not an institution. We are a family. We are a body. There is not one of us who can cast stones. There is not one of us who is without sin or fault. Romans 3.23, Paul reminds us that all have sinned, all have missed the mark and come short of the glory of God. Still others choose to simply quell their passion and enthusiasm for Jesus. They're so afraid of the criticism and the slander and being misunderstood that they take that God-given gift that he gave them to worship him and they bury it in the ground and they say master I knew that you were an austere man so instead of using it I buried it all of us as believers 
if we choose to truly worship Jesus, if we truly use our gifts that he has given us in order to worship Jesus, we will experience criticism, slander, and we will be misunderstood. And it will come from unexpected places and unexpected people. I think that the events that happened in this house in Bethany, Simon, who had been a leper, his house, give us insight on how we as Christians are to deal with criticism, how we are to deal with slander, how we are to deal with being misunderstood, how we're to react, what we're supposed to do. You might remember, as we read earlier, it's a dinner party celebrating Jesus. In this dinner party, Lazarus is there, and I love it because I love the New King James because Lazarus, who had been dead, like that's an afterthought. You know the guy that was dead and is alive? He's there, and no doubt he's telling his after-death experience. Can you imagine? I mean, you're like, okay, 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 so you died, right? What did that feel like? What did you see? Did you see a light? You know, what happened? He's telling his whole experience of waking up in the dark, but hearing the voice of Jesus and not being able to move and wriggling out and, you know, seeing the light and coming out of the tomb. There's Martha, and she's serving. And if you've read Luke chapter 10, You've gotten a little bit acquainted with Martha. You know this is, this is her, this is her venue of worship. She's serving. And the disciples of Jesus, Peter, James, John, Matthew, Alphaeus, Philip, Bartholomew, all of them, they're all gathered in that room. When suddenly, Mary, the sister of Lazarus, she enters in. I don't know if she's nervous, but she makes a beeline for Jesus. This is all about Jesus. She has an alabaster bottle, and she breaks the bottle. You know, the, the ointment in that bottle is only worth something as long as it remains in a sealed bottle. But when she breaks that bottle, the value is gone. And she takes the oil of spikenard and she pours it over Jesus. Oh, she's making such a spectacle of herself. Everyone was involved in these conversations. But now look, what is Mary doing? What is she doing, breaking that jar with the expensive perfume. In fact, that perfume was worth a year's wages. In our economy, that means that that spikenard was worth somewhere between fifty to a hundred thousand dollars. Fifty to a thousand dollars. It was probably Mary's dowry, 
her security for the future. But she broke that jar and she poured out all her security, all her savings, her greatest treasure on Jesus. This account is also recorded in Matthew 26, verses 6 through 13, and Mark chapter 14, verses 1 through 9. And Mark records that some of those in the room begin to speak indignantly to one another about Mary, indignantly. Matthew writes that the disciples begin to criticize her sharply. That's from the New King James. Suddenly, the attention riveted on Mary and what she's doing turns lethal. It might have begun as a murmur or a word of disapproval, but now it is voiced critically and indignantly. And it's not just Judas. He might have instigated it, but now everyone's joining in and they don't realize who they are being led by. In fact, Judas appears so pious. Why this waste? This perfume could have been sold and the proceeds given to the poor. In the presence of Jesus, Mary is called out as being wasteful, irresponsible, indifferent about the needs and the suffering of the poor. And who knows what else was said among the followers of Jesus, the disciples, and the leaders. This word in a, that the NIV uses, indignant, they have indignation. It's, it's anger. I mean, they are angry with Mary. How dare she do something like this? And as we said before, the NKJ, they criticized her sharply, not corrective criticism. This is cruel. This is beyond. It is sharp. It's the type of criticism that goes right to the heart, and it hurts. For a moment, I want you to consider who these men are who are joining in on the criticism. Peter, who is always close to Jesus. Andrew, the brother of Peter, who was always bringing people to Jesus. He brought his brother Peter to Jesus. He brought the lad with the five loaves and two fish to Jesus. Later on in chapter 12, you'll hear that he brought the Greeks to Jesus. Then there's Philip. Philip, who was the one Jesus turned to in John chapter 6 and said, where are we going to buy food? for all of these people to eat. He was the one that Jesus brought into what he was going to do with the multitude. Then there's James, the brother of John, one of the inside clan who with Peter and his brother John had seen the transfiguration and the glory of Jesus. There is Thomas, the literalist, who we saw in chapter 11 was willing and ready to die for Jesus. 
as well as Matthew, the former tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and of course, Judas Iscariot, the instigator behind it all. It is John alone who pins the blame on Judas and gives insight to his character. Judas' criticism was so pious, almost perfectly aligned with the Lord's concerns, yet his was the mind that is always thinking about the money. That was the motivation behind the criticism he wanted the money. He wanted the proceeds. For a moment, I want you to imagine what it must have been like for Mary to hear these men she admired, these followers of Jesus, these future leaders of the church, criticize her sharply, indignantly slander her shameless, loving worship of Jesus, and so greatly misunderstand and misjudge her act of loving devotion. Imagine. But it's Mary's reaction to this criticism and slander and misjudgment that I find extraordinary. I think that I can speak for all of us when I say that that's not our natural response. That's not how we deal with it. I'll never forget, it was right before Easter, I like to read the story of of the resurrection and, you know, of the cross. Just go through it before Easter, and I'm walking my dog. I'm having a pious time. And as I'm having my pious time, I'm thinking of the great restraint of Jesus, how when he was reviled, he did not revile back. And all of a sudden, these bikers come riding by, and this one yells out, Lady, curb your dog. Now, I'm in my lane, and in this pious moment, I look at him and I say, shut up. <laughs> and he says, you shut up. And of course, I retort, no, you shut up as he's going far away. And I felt the Holy Spirit say, and where were we? <laughs> Not my natural response. I mean, our natural response is to pick up that spear and throw it back harder and heavier, right? It's to defend ourselves. I'm doing this because I love Jesus. This isn't about you. This is about me and Jesus. I set out his feet. I haven't seen you guys sitting at his feet in a while. In fact, when's the last time you sat at his feet? When I was at his feet, I got deep insights. I know what you guys are ignoring, neglecting, that Jesus is about to die and rise again. She did not do it, but she could have, and she would have been justified, but she didn't. She didn't defend herself. She didn't begin to find fault with her accusers. Oh, don't we want to do that? Don't we want to find something worse on them? Well, I might have done this, but they robbed a bank when they were 12. You know, we want to find something worse with our accusers. She could have said, seriously, Peter, didn't you try to rebuke Jesus? And didn't he say to you, get behind me, Satan? 
And wasn't God himself miffed with you on the Mount of Transfiguration? And he had to say, this is my beloved son. Hear him? Or there you go again, James. No wonder the Lord calls you a son of thunder. You are one of those who wanted to call down fire from heaven on the Samaritan village. And Jesus had to tell you, you didn't know what spirit you were of. And it was you and your brother who put your mom up to going to Jesus and asking to sit at his right hand. Ambition. Simon, aren't you reverting to your zealot ways? Isn't this the way zealots get things done? But Mary didn't do it. She didn't address any of her accusers. She didn't call out their faults. She also didn't try to research and find out where is this slander coming from? Who instigated? What's at the bottom of this? Who's the person behind the criticism and slander? She didn't say, Judas, it's you. Yours was the first voice I heard, and you're a thief. There are people that have been seeing you taking things out of the money bag. Don't think you're not seen. Or Judas, give me a break. You don't care about the poor. Or you're such a pious hypocrite. She didn't identify Judas. She didn't call him out. No. And she didn't stop what she was doing and run out of the room crying. No. Mary's survival and even her triumph came. And these are my main points. They came because she kept her focus on Jesus. We used to sing a song, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. She kept her focus on Jesus. She kept her focus on the one who loved her, on the one who understood her actions. She kept it personal. This is about Jesus, and he is worth all the spikenard in the world. She kept worshiping Jesus. She did not let up on her worship of Jesus. She stayed on task. She continued doing what she was doing. She continued to wipe his feet with her hair. Finally, she did not even react to the other voices in the room. She showed no reaction at all. It was as if they weren't there and she was alone with Jesus. There was only one voice, one opinion that Mary cared about that day in that room. And that was Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. What was the outcome of Mary's reaction? It was this. 
First of all, the fragrance filled the house, John 12, 2. Everyone in that room that day at Simon's house in Bethany was affected by her worship. It influenced, it touched. They breathed it in, everyone. It permeated that house. Secondly, Jesus defended her. Jesus defended her. Jesus himself came to her defense. Leave her alone. Wow. Leave her alone. In Matthew 26, 10, Matthew goes into more detail. And he says, why are you bothering her? Why are you bothering her? Jesus not only defended her, but he extolled and commended her. He said in John 12, verse 7, it was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. Mary had received something that the disciples had missed, ignored, or chosen not to regard about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In Matthew 26, 10, Matthew records that Jesus said, she has done a beautiful thing for me. How did Jesus regard the worship of Mary? It's beautiful, and it's for me. In Mark 14, 8, Jesus said she has done what she could. In other words, she took what was in her hand, what had been given to her, what was in her power to give, and she gave all that she could to Jesus. Not only did Jesus defend her and extol her, but he elevated her. Mark and Matthew both record, record Jesus as saying, truly I tell you that wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Her act would accompany the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, wherever it went, wherever it went. And it's come to Southern California all the way from Bethany. And we're hearing this story today because wherever the good news of Jesus Christ is preached and known, the act of Mary breaking the alabaster box pouring it out on the feet of Jesus and worshiping him is told and known. Mary, from that point on, would be commended by every Christian. Her act would be known and praised, and she would become an example to every single believer of how to worship Jesus and how to survive the slander, the criticism, and the misunderstanding 
when you give your all and your deepest devotion and whatever you have to Jesus Christ. Have you been criticized? Have you been slandered? Have you been misunderstood? Some of you were brave enough to hold up your hand with me. Others are like, not me. Ha! Do you have Facebook? Then it's happened. How will you choose to survive it? Learn from Mary's example. Rather than seeking to defend your act of worship and why you are using the God-given gifts that God himself has given you, rather than finding fault with your accusers, the others, rather than writing angry articles on Facebook or matching the vitriol of the critics and the slanders, rather than fighting fire with fire, rather than leaving the church and hating the people of Jesus Christ, instead, it's so easy. Turn your eyes on Jesus. Seek his face. What is Jesus' expression of your worship? I think when Mary looked up, she saw a radiance of love coming at her. She saw his love, his joy. Put your eyes on Jesus. Focus on Jesus. Focus on Jesus so much that he becomes your preoccupation. That, that you are just so in tune. I'm doing this with Jesus. Keep worshiping Jesus. Don't stop worshiping Jesus. Don't stop using your gifts. Don't stop pouring out your love. Don't stop loving believers. Don't stop going to church. Don't stop fellowshipping. Don't stop. Keep worshiping Jesus in the gifting that he has given you. We have all received gifts from the Holy Spirit. We're told in Ephesians, when Jesus rose up on high, he gave gifts to men and women. We have all received, and John says in John 1, from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Don't stop worshiping Jesus. Don't stop. Finally, don't react to the other voices. Don't react. Ignore them. Just ignore them. Tune them out. They don't matter. Do not let them hit your heart. Hold up the shield of faith against every fiery dart of the enemy. And then don't be a forensic expert by putting down the dart and then investigating, oh, okay, so this dart was meant for here. <laughs> don't do that. Don't read that mean letter twice, okay? You read it once, it wasn't nice, tear it up. Do not read it twice. I know you've all done it, and then you read between the lines the third time. Don't do that. Don't let it hurt you again and again and again. Tune it out and tune in to Jesus. And then you will not simply survive 
the criticism, the slander, and the misunderstanding, you know what you'll do? You will thrive. You will triumph. You will hear Jesus come to your defense. You'll stand back and he'll defend you. You don't need to defend yourself. He will do it. I once had a girl that was criticizing me up one side and down the other. I've had a lot of that. You don't get to be Chuck Smith's daughter without a lot of criticism, a lot of slander, and a lot of misunderstanding. Of course, I was born into it. But this woman went into this prayer room to pray against me, to, to you know, Lord, smite her. You know what she's doing. And she got baptized in the Holy Spirit, and she began to confess the sin of slander and of criticism of me as the Holy Spirit came upon her. I'm just telling you, just watch it, just be careful. <laughs> Jesus will come to your defense. I, I gotta tell you one more story, I'm sorry. But my mother, we were coming into the property. I used to give her a ride to church every Sunday after we came back from England. And I'm driving her into the property and there are these men that are picketing the church. And she's like, stop the car, Cheryl. And she rolls down the window and she's like, you are cursed. You are cursed for coming against the church of Jesus Christ. You are cursed. And the guy's like, you know, he's saying all sorts of horrid things to my mom. My mom's like, drive on, Cheryl, drive on. So I drive in and I'm kind of shaking, you know, like, okay. So a week later, this guy comes in, makes an appointment with my dad and says, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Could you have your wife take the curse off of me? <laughs> Jesus will defend you. Who's a better defense lawyer? My dad used to say anyone who's their own defense lawyer is a fool. God has promised in his word that he defends his own. Jesus will defend you. Jesus will commend you and extol your act of worship. Jesus will make you an example for others to follow. And the fragrance of your worship will affect even the slanders and the critics and those who are so judgmental. As we move into this time of communion, as we remember the sacrificial death of Jesus, we remember as he's pouring out his life in this act of worship to God, not the spilling out of ointment, but the spilling out of his own blood to cover the sins of the world. Was there anyone more than Jesus who was criticized, slandered, and misunderstood? There he is saving the world from their sins. And men are going by saying, if you're the son of God, save yourself. And one of the thieves on the cross says, hey, why don't you save us and save yourself? Others are just taunting cruelly. Still others are using that as proof that he cannot be the son of God and die. And yet, what do we know? That it's on this cross. His eyes were focused on God. I'm doing this. This is you and I and the Holy Spirit together saving the world. He tuned out 
the other voices. And instead he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He didn't bring a railing accusation against his accusers. He didn't say, Satan, I know you're behind this. No. He made it a transaction between himself and the Father. Today, once again, we have the opportunity to commemorate, to remember, to consider that act of Jesus. And I want to encourage you, if you feel like you've been criticized and slandered and misunderstood, and you've buried the gift of worship that God has given you, will you turn your eyes upon Jesus? Will you renew that spirit of passion and worship within you? Will you forgive those who have done that, even as Jesus has forgiven you? And if you've been part of the criticism, the slander, and the judging of others, do you know there's forgiveness? Because all have sinned. In fact, there's a scripture in Ecclesiastes that says, don't take it to heart when you hear your servant cursing you because you know that you've also cursed others. We've all been part and party to this. What a great time to receive the forgiveness for ourselves and then to receive the forgiveness that will forgive others and turn back to being worshipers of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, help us to set our focus on you. Lord, we do pray that you would fan into flame once more that passion for your name. Father, that we would not hear the critics, the slander, or the, the judgment but we would be so blessed that we get to worship you, that we get to see your face. Father, let us receive as we take these elements of communion, the blood and the bread. Let us receive that forgiveness that we desperately need and that rededication to worship you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we ask this in the only name that matters, the name that is above all names, the name that is saying, I love you, I love you, I love you, the name of Jesus. We ask this in Jesus' name.